This message was recorded at Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our goal is to faithfully preach the Word of God for the salvation of sinners, the strengthening of believers, and the glory of God. Please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org and listen for more information at the conclusion of this message. Uh, would you turn with me again to, uh, to 1 Corinthians 13 for the scripture reading again this morning? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 13. Uh, we'll, we'll read the whole chapter again today. Would you stay? <clears throat> chapter 13, starting in verse 1. If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I am a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to remove mountains, but have not love, I am nothing. If I give away all I have, and if I deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I am nothing. I gain nothing. Love is patient and kind. Love does not envy or boast. It is not arrogant or rude. It does not insist on its own way. It is not irritable or resentful. It does not rejoice at wrongdoing, but rejoices with the truth. Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, and endures all things. Love never ends. As for prophecies, they will pass away. As for tongues, they will cease. And as for knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part, but when the the perfect comes, the partial will pass away. When I was a child, I spoke like a child, I thought like a child, and I reasoned like a child. But when I became a man, I gave up childish ways. For now we see in a mirror dimly, but then face to face. Now I know in part, and then I shall know fully, even as I have been fully known. So now, faith, hope, and love abide, these three, but the greatest of these is love. Let's pray. (coughs) Heavenly Father, we do come again before Your throne of grace in the name of Jesus. Father, um, we approach this passage this morning. We, uh, We want to approach this passage humbly. Lord, asking for Your help, not only in understanding what we read here, but in in doing it and living it out. Lord, we're so thankful today for Your love for us. We're so thankful that You have demonstrated Your love for us. Not because we were deserving. Not because we provoked it. You did it while we were yet ungodly, sinners. And you demonstrated your love by sending your Son to die in our place, to take the wrath that we deserve upon Himself, reconciling us to yourself. All of grace because you loved us. We thank you and we pray, Lord, as we continue to look at this passage this morning that you will help us to be mindful of these things, see you everywhere in this passage, and may it point us 
to Christ and a greater knowledge of you and of Christ and a greater understanding of what our purpose is here in this world. For our good and for your honor and glory, we ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. You can be seated. Amen. And I do appreciate that as well, Michael and, and, uh, and Zach also. Appreciate you much. I um, mentioned last week that um, the, the, the general outline that I'm doing here, and I just, the three part division, I've divided this, this chapter, chapter 13, into, into three parts. And that, those three parts, that general outline comes from. Um, Gordon Fee, um, his commentary, his commentary on this passage, and I'm again just as generally I'm still following that. So what I what I decided to do, and, and uh, who knows? I mean, the, the Lord may. You know, I had a guy this morning at the truck stop tell me you you could preach a long time out of that passage. <laughs> I said, Well, this is the second sermon. I'm going to do at least one more. Um, so we'll, we'll see how it goes from there. Uh, but the plan is to do at least one more. And the three parts we talked about last week, the necessity of love, and then today, the character of love, and then next Sunday morning, Lord willing, we'll talk about the permanence of love. So that three-part division um, comes from um, Gordon Fee's commentary on First Corinthians. I thought it was a good way to divide it up and consider these things. The necessity of love, the character of love, and the permanence of love. And so, um, again, because it certainly doesn't do us any harm, I told uh, Zach to go ahead and read the whole chapter again. Um, I need to hear it if nobody else does. But um, we're going to focus in on verses 4 through 7. Verses 4 through 7, the character of love. And then... Verses 8 through 13 will be the, the permanence of love next week. So I should have mentioned that a moment ago, but that's, that's the division. Verses 1 through 3, um, the necessity of love, 4 through 7, the character of love, and then 8 through 13, <clears throat> the permanence of love. Um, boy, there is much, just like the, the person I was talking to this morning indicated, there is much that could be said about this, and 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 when I was speaking with this person this morning, uh, you know, he he said, "What are, what are you preaching on?" Or he actually he asked me if I was doing a Thanksgiving sermon. And I said, "Well, no, I've been going through First Corinthians," and and he said, "Oh, the love chapter," and that's that's what we recognize it as. And it's one of the things. I like I say there are many things uh, that that can be said and are said about this chapter, but that's one way of summing it up: the love chapter. Now, certainly, this chapter um, has the ability to stand alone. I mean, you can, you can take this chapter entirely out of context, and you've got a great, um, a great description here, standalone description of agape love. But it's not given to us as a passage that stands alone, is it? It comes in the middle of a book. And so one of the things that I'm going to, or actually this was a letter uh, from the, the Apostle Paul to the Corinthians. We call it a book today. But one of the things that I'm going to try to do is remind us of that fact and so that uh, we, we, we do take it in context. And I think that will 
help us in knowing what um, the Apostle Paul, what the Holy Spirit is communicating here. However, again, it is it is a powerful description of love. Some some have even speculated, and I'm not suggesting this is so. I'm just mentioning mentioning it. But some have even speculated that that it did stand alone prior to this, and that you know that Paul uses um, because of some of the rhythmic um, flow here that Paul uses a uh, something that was already known and applies it to the to the Corinthian uh, situation, but. But I think we're going to see as we move through here that it is it is so intertwined. Paul, Paul's description of love here is not not out of a vacuum. It, it is so intertwined with um, issues in the Corinthian church that uh, that uh, it, it is uh, in one sense um, unseparable. Uh, although, like I say, you, you you do have in it a great description of what uh, the godly kind of love is. So, this morning, again focusing on verses 4 through 6, we're going to consider the character of love. So, another way maybe of saying this is, you know, we all have, we all have characteristics that, that we, have, um, we have actually inherited from our parents. Uh, you know, so, so, there are things that look a certain way about us. You know, sometimes, I mean, I've had people, and I'm sure you've all had this type of experience too, but I've had people tell me I look like my father, or I've had people tell me that I look like my mother, or, you know, one of my sisters was up at, uh, in Virginia a couple years ago and, and um, saw my Uncle Hen, and uh, she was just amazed. Uh, she said, I'm, I'm not sure that I see it, but she came back and she said, I never realized how much you look like Uncle Hen. She said, your, your mannerisms and everything. It's my mom's brother. And that's a possibility, isn't it? That I that I inherited certain traits that that uh, I mean, you know, we got them from the same place. He got them from his daddy, which would be my grandfather, and has passed down the line. Um, so we look like something. You know, we're we're identifiable by certain um, visible traits and by by certain um, mannerisms, which again was another thing one of my sister said. She said, I was watching Uncle Hen, and she said, even his manner, your mannerisms are like him, and so forth. Well, those are character traits. And uh, hopefully I'm as nice a guy as he is, but probably not. But, but uh, <laughs> he de- definitely has more pay. Last time we were up there, Daniel and Joshua were little, and my Uncle Hen had a little... Uh, it probably wasn't six foot long. Six foot long John boat in the back of his truck, and he took that... Joshua got stung by a jellyfish and would not get back in the water after that, and, and so he was little. He was, you know, this, you know he's eighteen, but um, no, no, I'm just kidding. But. <laughs> but he was little at the time, and so my uncle Hen takes this six foot um, John boat and put Daniel and Joshua in it and pulled them all over Shinkatig Bay um, for I don't know how long. It seemed like forever out there. I thought, now there's. Uh, uh, a patient man, a loving man. <laughs> but at any rate, we all have characteristics. So we look a certain way, we act a certain way. Now, that's what I think we have in this chapter. In other words, this is not a like a textbook definition of love. In fact, you know, when you think about those things, to me, love, it's kind of like, I, I do sometimes define it, but, but it's difficult. Love... Faith, you know, try to define faith. I mean, it's you, you can come up with synonyms, you can come up with descriptions, but it's but it's hard to say what it is essentially. But really good descriptions help a lot. You know, they really help us understand. 
And so that's, that's what we have here. We have the characteristics. This, in other words, this is what love looks like. The, these, this is a description of how love looks and how it, how it acts. The character of love, or, or what is characteristic of love. What it looks like, what it acts like. Now, you, you think about that for a moment, and you realize that it is, it is relational. In other words, how, how is love expressed? Well, not in isolation. In fact, that's kind of difficult to do. And I'm not even sure it's, it's possible. If you, if you think for a moment, you know, we, we, we make the point sometimes, and rightly so, um, that God did not create people because He needed something to love. And that's true enough. But, don't get the idea that there was total isolation before God spoke things into being. Because the very nature of the Godhead with the triune persons of the Trinity is relationship. So, love, interrelation, uh, relational love has existed from eternity. There's, there's never been a time when it wasn't so. So, it is, it is relationship oriented. This, this is one of those things that I feel like um, in, in my in my own case, that that I'm 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 seeing more and more and more and more as I read through the scriptures. It's like the old saying: you can't see the forest for the trees. There are a lot of things that 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 we we start out as Christians and we look at the scripture and we miss. And I'm, this never really changes, but well, we just miss myriads of things. And but but little by little, as we go through time and grow as Christians, the Lord begins to show us. And it's been there all along. It wasn't. It's not a new revelation. You know, it's not something brand new. It's been there all along. I just didn't see it. And there are different issues like that. Um, one, you know, just just another example would be suffering. You know, and I ne- never, I guess, realized until some recent years. How much the Bible has to do with suffering and speaks to people suffering. The books and the epistles that are written to people who are suffering. And if you begin to understand that that is the case, you start to see it everywhere in the Scripture. God is speaking to His people who are suffering in this present age in one form or fashion. Well, it's like that with relationships. All of these truths are relational and it's just been becoming more and more clear to me. Hopefully, the guys at our Thursday morning group, you know, we've been going through Ephesians. And uh, um, hopefully they haven't tired of me saying that. But a lot of times when we're, when we're discussing the passages that we're in, um, it, it just seems like to me that cannot be overstated. We've, we've been in chapter 6, and Paul's talking about putting on the whole armor of God and standing against the methods of the devil. That We, you know, we were talking about that in Sunday school this morning, too. And all of that, in other words, what, what are Satan's methods? He, well, he, he attacks, like we talked about in Sunday school, through deception. But it seems to me his primary target seems to be in relationships. And that's exactly what Paul is dealing with in chapter 5 before he goes into chapter 6 where he says, put on the whole armor of God. Husbands, love your wives as Christ loved the church. Why? Because Satan will attack you there. That's his method. Children, obey your parents. Why? Because 
Satan will attack you there. That's his method. That's how he works. He destroys relationships. Servants obey your masters and so on. Why? Because Satan attacks us there. He destroys relationships. And so it's not a coincidence that Paul comes out of all this admonition for our relationships and then says, put on the whole armor of God and, and stand firm against the methods of the devil. That's how he works. He seeks to destroy relationships. Well, that's exactly what's happening in Corinth. Satan's got his foot in the door and relationships are being destroyed. And that's what Paul is addressing. Remember all of the, all of the problems that he has brought out previously. Those things that were reported to him. For example, the man committing incest. And if that's not a perverted relationship, I don't know what it is. What is. Or what about the, the personality-driven schisms? Where people in the same body that are supposed to be in unity, they're, in fact, they are unified by one Spirit, are dividing themselves, saying, I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos, I'm of Cephas. And so Paul's been addressing all these things. And it's relationship-oriented. You have those who are exercising their assumed liberty at the expense of weaker brothers and sisters in Christ. So they're saying, we, it is lawful for us to do this, and they are willing to do these things that hurt other people, and relationships are destroyed. Now, Paul's been going through those things one by one and dealing with them, and now I think he's, he's hitting at, at the, at, you know, kind of the core of the problem. In other words, what is lacking? Why are these things going on? How can, how can a, a man and a woman be involved in a, in an immoral sexual relationship like the man in chapter 5? How can people who claim to be Christians visit temple prostitutes and participate in pagan sacrifices at the expense, again, of weaker brothers and sisters? I mean, they're doing things that are going to cause others to be destroyed. How can wealthy people, people who have plenty, sit down at the Lord's table and ignore those who are actually hungry in the same place at the same time. How can any of those things take place, especially in a Christian community? And I think Paul is getting at that now. He's saying there's something essential, like we talked about, something talked about last week, something necessary that is lacking. And it's love. It's love. And so that's how he starts out. If I speak in tongues, yes, you're gifted. He's not denying that the Corinthians are gifted, but he's just saying, if, if I do these things, if I speak in tongues of men and of angels, but have not love, I'm a noisy gong or a clanging cymbal. It's just, it's just a cacophony rather than harmony and symphony. If I have all prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge and have all faith so as to remove mountains, Great, but if I have not love, I'm nothing. He's saying it's, it's in vain. And I may think I'm something, but in reality I'm nothing. And if I give all I have and deliver up my body to be burned, but have not love, I gain nothing. And in their pursuit of gain, by whatever means, you know, through better gifts or whatever it was, 
Paul is saying the reality is you're operating without love and you're not profiting anything. You don't gain anything. Without love, you're, you're just making racket. Without love, your knowledge and your faith and your prophetic powers are empty. Without love, your sacrificial deeds are worthless. You gain nothing. You get nothing from it. And now he moves from that into a description of love's character. He wants them to see what it looks like. How does, how does, how does love act? How does it look? And this is in contrast to those things that they are living out. Verse 4. He starts with what I'm going to call here, and I'm just going to give you three basic uh, points here. The first one is this. Love is God-like. Alright? The God-like, now he's going to give a, a, a positive expression. The God-like positive expressions of love. Two, two namely here. In verse 4. Love is patient and kind. Now, that, <laughs> I'm telling you, that it's, it's easy to read over that and just not think much about it. Okay, patient and kind of good. Patience, a virtue, you know, and it's, it's a good thing. Kind, it's good to be kind. Have the Boy Scout mentality and all that. But Paul's talking about something deeper here, something genuine. He's talking about looking and acting like God Himself. It's a God, these are... Patience, kindness, these are godlike attributes, godly attributes. Love expresses itself, that is genuine love, expresses itself in relationships like God expresses Himself in genuine relationships. Now, that's no, no coincidence. We know from the epistle of 1 John, God is love, right? This is how God expresses Himself. Let me show you here um, an example of this before we get back into to this part of the text. Um, look at Romans two, Romans chapter two, verse four. Romans two, verse four. And Paul uses the same. Um, two words here. Again, no, no coincidence. When he's describing God, God's action. Romans two four, or do you presume on the riches and kindness and forbearance and patience on His riches and uh, His kindness and forbearance and patience? Not knowing that God's kindness is meant to lead you to repentance. Now, the term kindness is used twice there. And the term patience once. Same words that he uses over here in uh, 1 Corinthians 13.4. Except here, in Romans 2, he's talking about the character of God. Do you presume on His kindness? Love is kind, Paul says. Same root word. And forbearance. The word there is tolerance. That's a different one. 
and patience. Same word he uses in 1 Corinthians 13.4. Macrothumia. It's the idea of long, long temper. The old King James term here, long suffering, is hard to beat. It's just not a term we, we use anymore. But boy, it's, that's a great translation though. Long suffering. Love suffereth long. That's what he means by patient. Long tempered. Takes a lot. You know, when you think of somebody that, that is sharp tempered, we say they got a sharp fuse. They don't, they don't take much, it don't take much to set them off, right? You just get under their skin a little bit and they blow up. They're sharp tempered. Well, Paul says love is long tempered. It, it, it takes a lot. And he's saying that in Romans 2, he's saying that's the way God is. He's patient. Don't, don't presume on the patience of God because He is long-tempered. And don't you know that it's His kindness that is meant to lead you to repentance? So He speaks of the riches, of the kindness of God, and of His patience, His long-temperedness. And similarly, um, in fact... These are another couple of words that are used in this passage. We haven't got to both of them yet. But similarly, in Colossians 1.11, Paul prays for the Colossians to have these qualities. And here the, the word patience is used again. And here's, here's the part of his prayer, Colossians 1.11. May you be strengthened with all power according to His glorious might for all endurance. We'll get to that one in a moment because that one does appear in 1 Corinthians 13 also. For all endurance and patience. And there's the term again. Long-tempered. Long-suffering. And Paul says to the Colossians, I'm praying for you. I'm praying for you to be strengthened by the power of God. For all endurance, that is, that is to endure, to bear circumstances, to stand under, the word literally means, to stand under the circumstances that you find yourself in. Doesn't doesn't just you know sometimes we feel buried. It doesn't mean to be buried under, yeah, buried under, but to stand. In other words, you don't you're not crushed by them. You stand under the circumstances. And Paul says, I'm praying for you that you have the power of God to endure, to stand under the circumstances. So that one is is circumstance oriented, and then to have patience, macrothumia, long suffering, long tempered, and that one is people oriented. Paul says, I want, you to, I want you to be able to stand under, circ- under circumstances and I want you to endure or have patience with people, with joy. And it happens by the power of God. And it works or it's energized by love. So, Paul says in Corinthians, this is, this is what love does. It's patient. This is how it looks. This is how it acts. Love is patient. Again, in verse 4. Love is patient and kind. So, so again, those are two characteristics of God. He's long-suffering or long-tempered, and He's kind. He's kind. I don't think, again, just we realize a lot of times the importance of that. You know, God could, theoretically, God could, I suppose, theoretically, grant a... A, a, a reprieve or, you know, just kind of like say, well, I'm, I'm not going to punish you for your sins. Now, get out of my face! 
if he'd have wanted to go that route. But in all that he did in, in, uh, in our salvation, our being reconciled to himself, it was out of his love for us. It's an amazing thing. So he doesn't just say, well, okay, leave me alone. I won't punish you for your sins. Get out of my face. He doesn't do that. He treats us with kindness. So he says, I forgive you of your sins. Now, draw near. Draw near. Enter in to the joy of the Lord. Take my yoke upon you. Take my burden. It's light. You'll find rest for your souls. He deals with us in kindness. Come, he says to the world, let us, let us reason together. Come, you who thirst and drink. He deals in kindness. Kindness. And Paul says that's love. Love is patient. Love is kind. That's what it looks like. That's what it acts like. Now, those are the two positive expressions. Or what I call them here, God-like Positive expressions. Now, he moves into some negatives to illustrate or to show, to, to, uh, to, to characterize love. So, this, this, the second one is this, and I'm going to sum it up this way. Love is good. Love is good. Love is godlike, number one. Number two, love is good. And, and what he does is first give seven negative um, things that love is not or does not. In other words, this is, this is, this is what is not love and this is not how, God, how love acts. And, uh, and then we'll go from that to a, actually an eighth, eighth negative, but, I'm, but I'm, I'm separating it because it also comes with an, with an opposite. We'll, I'll show you that in a minute. But first, he just lays out seven negative things that love is not or that love does not do. Verse 5, or verse 4, I'm sorry. Love does not envy. That's number one. Love does not boast. Number two. Love is not arrogant. Number three. It's not rude or um, behave itself unseemly. That's number four. Love does not insist on its own ways. Number five. It is not irritable. Number six. Or, um, or not easily provoked. It's number six. And number uh, seven. Not resentful. So these are things that love is not or does not do. Paul says it's not, does not boast. Does not boast. Now I said earlier, and I want to watch for this. We're going to move through these a little bit quicker, but watch for these um, things because, again, they're not coming out of a vacuum. Paul's not pulling these things out of thin air. What has been happening in the Corinthian church are these things. Boasting, right? I've got the greater gift. I'm a greater, better part of the body than this person over here that has this other gift or whatever. You know, they got a lesser gift than I got. Or the person that I follow is better. You know, I'm of Paul. I'm of Apollos. I'm of Cephas. Or they come together at the Lord's table and, you know, I'm better. I'm above and I've got all I need. And those people over there, you know, are going hungry, but we just kind of keep our distance from them. Love doesn't boast, Paul says. 
He's saying, that's not love. The way you're acting is not love. It's not a braggart. Love is not a braggart. It's not one, Marvin Vincent says, it's, it's, this term is used of one who sounds his own praises. Like the Pharisees. Remember, Jesus gives us examples of the Pharisees. They would, they would tithe and you know, give, and then they march up and down the streets blowing trumpets. Literally, folks, I know it's hard to, <laughs> hard to believe, but literally march up and down the streets blowing trumpets to, you know, to, so that everybody would know they're, they're giving alms. It always, in my mind, always connected. The town, my, my mother is from Signpost, Virginia, and, uh, um, the the next closest town, about two miles away, is Horntown, and uh, it it had that name for similar purposes, not exactly, but but when when they took a big, you know, they're all fishermen up there, so when they took in a had a really good day, took in a big haul, they would you know just blow trumpets and 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 uh, celebrate. And, but Jesus said the Pharisees were doing that to show off their giving. Paul says, love doesn't do that. Love love doesn't boast. It doesn't envy. Now, you, you see that again in, in the tensions with the Corinthians. Some wanting to be better than others. Some wanting what others had. Love doesn't envy, Paul says. Doesn't envy or boast. It's not arrogant. And there he uses the same term he's used several times in the epistle already. Puffed up. He's already accused the Corinthians of being puffed up. He says, that's not love. Love's not puffed up. It's not rude, or it doesn't act unseemly. And again, you think about the ways in which they were treating each other, disregarding uh, each other's spiritual welfare and health, living, um, exercising liberty at, at what supposedly Christian liberty at the expense of weaker brothers and sisters, acting unseemly, acting rudely. And the next one, it does not insist on its own way. It's not selfish. And again, you see that in the actions of the Corinthians that we've been talking about and in their attitudes. Love doesn't seek its own. It's not selfish. It's not irritable. Or the old King James says, easily provoked. Love is not easily provoked. Remember, that kind of ties in, doesn't it, with the term we were talking about earlier, long-suffering, patient. Love love is is tolerant, long-tempered, loving, esteeming others better than one's self. Concern for the welfare of others more than that of oneself. So it's not irritable or easily provoked. It's not resentful. And this is an interesting word. Um, the King James here says, thinketh no evil. But it can be translated here, um, does not take into account a wrong suffered. So, in other words, it doesn't think of evil in that sense. It doesn't account, take account of it or reckon it. The NIV says, keeps no record of wrongs. I think those are 
you know, given all that what Paul is saying here, I think they, these are better translations. Again, the NASB does not take into account a wrong suffered. So, again, love acts like God. Psalm 103. He says, He's cast our sins as, from us as far as the east is from the west. In Isaiah 43, He says that He will remember our sins no more. Now, I've, a lot of people sometimes take that literally and say, well, God doesn't remember what we did. He forgot. Well, I don't think that's... He doesn't mean He literally doesn't remember. But what He's saying is He's not, he's not taking any account. He's not going to hold them against our charge. If you're in Christ, if you've been reconciled to God through the work of Jesus Christ, your sins are removed and He's not holding them against you anymore. Again, Psalm 103, He does not deal with us according to our iniquities. And Paul's saying, that's how love acts. Love, love is not uh, easily provoked and it, and it is not resentful. That is, it doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Jesus said to the Pharisees, go and learn what this means. I will have mercy and not sacrifice. Love is merciful. Also, under this um, love is good heading is, is the joy of love. In other words, what is, what is love, the way he says it here, what does love rejoice in? Good or bad? That's pretty easy. I mean, if you saw that on a multiple choice test, it's not a hard one. But it is hard sometimes practically. I mean, in other words, we just don't live it out. They weren't living it out right. The Paul's telling them, you're, again, you're not looking like love. It does not rejoice in wrongdoing. Verse 6, or unrighteousness is the word there. So, so this time, this is another negative, which would be number 8 here, but, but, it's, but it's unique in this sense. This time when Paul gives the negative, he presents the opposite with it. And interestingly, what he, what he puts as the opposite of, of uh, unrighteousness is truth. You know, you might be expecting, well, the opposite of unrighteousness is righteousness, right? Well, Paul sets it over against truth here. He says, love does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but love rejoices with the truth. It, it takes joy in the truth. Well, the Corinthians are engaging in all these ungodly things. The sexual immorality, for example, participation in the pagan feast, for example. And they're boasting about that. They're bragging about that, actually. And Paul says, look, love, that's not love. Love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. That's not where love finds its joy. Love joys in truth. That's a mark of love. Let me give you another example from, from uh, Romans here. I find this interesting. Um, that the same polar opposites, if you will, are, are they're, these same two things are juxtaposed again here in um, Romans 1. Romans chapter 1. 
in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. There's, there's the same word that, that we have over in 1 Corinthians 13. Love does not rejoice in ungodliness. Here Paul says, The wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness. Uh, I'm sorry, and unrighteousness. That's the one we're looking for. Ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress what? The truth. So, Paul says, the wrath of God is revealed against unrighteousness, the unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. And Paul is saying over in Corinthians 13, love doesn't do that. Love doesn't rejoice in unrighteousness. Love rejoices in the truth. So, a mark of the ungodly, according to Romans 1, is they don't rejoice in the truth. In fact, they suppress the truth with unrighteousness. And that's where they take joy, in their unrighteousness. There's no agape, there's no love there. It's ungodly. So, he tells the Corinthians, love does not rejoice in wrongdoing or unrighteousness, but rejoices with the truth. Maybe, maybe too, you know, we've talked a lot about the tension between the Corinthians and Paul, and maybe that's part of what he has in mind here. In other words, you're, you're willing to follow these worldly things, and, and, and in a sense, you know, you're, you're, you're rejoicing in ungodliness, unrighteousness and ungodliness, Instead of rejoicing in the truth which I'm giving to you, Paul is saying. This is what he's been saying pretty much since chapter 1, right? Especially in chapter 4 where he goes into a defense of himself. He's the true apostle. I'm giving you the truth. And rather than rejoicing in the truth that I'm giving you, the cross of Christ, the word of the cross, you're, you're going after unrighteousness. And he's saying there's no love in that. Love doesn't do that. And then finally, verse 7 the consistency of love. We're going to take these all together, so we're we're pretty much done here. The consistency of love. Verse 7, Love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things, endures all things. Love bears all, believes all, hopes all, endures all. This, This is kind of a tough one, isn't it? I mean... Love bears all things. Okay, we can... That one you can grasp. Love endures all things. Again, we can grasp that. And that's that word, again, by the way, that I was talking about earlier, stand under, um, hupomone, to stand under. Love stands under all things. It endures. But those middle two are sort of tough. Love believes all things. That's Paul saying. I mean, if, if you're a loving person, you're gullible, you just believe everything, you just take it all in, or you just trust everybody and believe everything. Well, I mean, that's what it sounds like on the surface. Love hopes all things. You put, you put your hope in anything and everything because that's what love does. I mean, if we adopt that meaning, 
that's that's pretty close to the spirituality that that the world um, propagates today. You know, believes all things. I mean, lo- if you really love, if you're really tolerant, then you just you just accept any doctrine out there, and you just you know we're all going for the same thing, going to the same place anyway. That's not what Paul's saying. I, I think probably the the idea here is is that. Love is just always consistent. In other words, it, it, it's, it, it stands up under everything and remains in all situations. So, maybe a paraphrase would be something like this. Love always bears things, or bears all, literally. Love Always believes. In other words, in any circumstances or whatever happens, love still trusts. Maybe Job would be an example of that, right? He just he he retained his integrity by the grace of God. He continued to trust God, though the circumstances were severe. He always trusted, believed. And the same with the word hope. It always hopes. Hope circumstances don't 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 steal the hope of true, genuine Christian love. It endures all things. Again, it's it's not crushed or destroyed. It stands under all things. So it always bears all believes all, hopes all. And that's probably um, what he has in mind in the next verse, which Lord willing we'll get to next week. But just love never fails. It never, it never ends. It's enduring. It never ends. Now, just a, a final word here. Again, number one, just a reminder, and I've been trying to do this as we go. But remember, this is in a particular context. So, what Paul is saying when he goes through here, he's not just saying, look, okay, Corinthians, we're going to take a moment here and I'm going to describe to you what love is. The essence of love, the nature and character of love, and then just kind of, you know, totally bring something, some kind of textbook definition in. Here's what love is. It's not what he's doing. He, he is specifically targeting what they are lacking. So all of these things that he's describing is what is lacking in the Corinthian church. You're not, you're not suffering long with each other. You are boasting. You are arrogant. You are rude. That is, you're acting unseemly towards one another. You're insisting on your own way. You're too easily provoked. You love unrighteousness rather than truth. See, he's speaking to the Corinthians. I mean, this, this is written in a particular context. And again, it's relational. This, he's, this is not just a, 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 just a inward emotion, just goosebumpy feeling. You know, here's what love is. Woo, it makes you feel so bubbly. That's not, not what Paul is saying. He's talking about how we interact. All of this is relation oriented. This is how love works. In the local congregation is what Paul is saying. This is how love works in the lives of believers. Why love said, Jesus rather said, this is how the world's going to know that you're my disciples. Because they're going to be able to see how you 
how you relate to one another. The world's going to know you're my disciples because you love one another. They're going to see how you interact, how you care genuinely for one another, and how you have each other's welfare at heart. How you put others before yourself. The world's going to see that and they're going to know that you're my disciple. It's the mark of the Christian. Now, it's been said, and I'm going to point this out, this last two things here. It's been said that you could take, and I think this is a healthy exercise here, you could take this word love out of chapter 13 and replace it with Jesus' name. So you say, Jesus is patient, Jesus is kind, Jesus does not envy or boast, is not arrogant, Jesus is not rude, Jesus does not insist on His own way. Jesus is not irritable or resentful. He does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but He rejoices with the truth. You see, I mean, what would be the purpose in that? Well, because you see how love reflects the character of God. God is love. So when we're talking about being loving, we're talking about acting or living consistently with who Jesus is, who God is. you got a perfect description there of the character of Jesus. Not necessarily exhaustive, but, but, but I'm just saying it's, it's all accurate. It all fits. And He's enduring, right? He never, he never ends. And here's the final exercise. After you've done that, you can do this. Insert your own name instead of Jesus or instead of love. Skip is patient. Skip is kind. Skip does not envy or boast. Now, what's the purpose? In, and you just go through the whole chapter like that. What's the purpose in that? Say it again. Absolutely. To, to show me that I'm, I'm like the Corinthians were. To show me that I'm lacking. I mean, because as soon as I start reading that, Skip, Skip is patient. I don't get far at all before I go, wait a minute. <laughs> wait a minute. It doesn't fit. But it's convicting. So, the purpose in it would be, of course, conviction and to provoke repentance and say, again, like, like Paul was praying for the Colossians, that I might pray and for you and for me, that we be strengthened with God's power to, to express love in these ways. To, to have God's love working through us. The love of God shed abroad in our hearts. So, it's, it's His love and then it, it just comes through us like a conduit going out and affecting all of those around us. In the local church and even out in the world. So, this is what love looks like. Is this what I look like? This is what, or how love acts. Is this how I act? It's the mark of a Christian. They'll know you're my disciples because you love. It's the character of God. God is love. Would you stand, please?
pray that God bless the reading and proclamation of His Word and that all of our hearts are affected in such a way that, that we do, that we pray, that we ask God for His power to live like Jesus in this present world. Isn't that what the Scripture says that we're to do? So that the, the mark is, is, is obvious. The mark of a disciple is... We want the mark of true discipleship to be obvious upon us. So that even the lost can look at us and say, they've been with Jesus. They know Jesus. They must be His followers. They must be Christians. Let's pray and we'll dismiss. And just again, quick reminder tonight, Danny's going to bring the Word. So I hope you plan to be here tonight. Let's pray. Father, we do thank You for Your Word and we do ask for Your power. Lord, we, it is convicting. and we, we read this description of love and we know that it's not within us, in and of ourselves. It's not in us. We have to say like Paul, in me there dwells no good thing. So we're convicted. And Lord, we want to acknowledge our, our failure and our, our dependence upon You and say, say like Paul prays, God, grant power. Grant that we may be strengthened in the power of Your might so that we may live these things out. So that people around us, if they, if they don't know anything else, so that they'll know that they're loved by us and that it's because of You. Now, may the Lord... Bless you and keep you, and may the Lord make His face shine upon you. May the Lord lift up His countenance upon you and give you peace. Amen. Dismissed. This sermon is made available through the ministry of Fillmore Baptist Church in Princeton, Louisiana. Our desire is to faithfully proclaim the message of salvation which God has provided in the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus Christ our Lord. For more resources and information, please visit our website at www.fillmorebaptist.org. You may use the links there to contact us or write us at Fillmore Baptist Church, 6304 Highway 80, Princeton, Louisiana, 71067.